Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode, which I hope you find to be an insightful look into the dimensions of character personality and psychology using the 2017 film The Rider as our case study. If you're a fan of the director, Chloe Zhao, and are excited about Nomadland's prospects for award season, it's a great time to revisit this earlier work, which is a fascinating tale. It's a contemporary Western set in the Lakota region and based around a fictionalization of the life of the real main character portrayed by the actor Brady Jandrow. I'm joined this week by Kira Ann Pelican, who I will be introducing to you shortly, and we'll be talking about some of the viewpoints she has put forward in her latest book, The Science of Writing Characters, Using Psychology to Create Compelling Fictional Characters. I've personally found it very helpful, and I think it is both brilliantly written and very useful to beginners and experts alike. It offers a perspective on character psychology you may not have encountered before, so do check it out if you enjoy today's conversation. Thank you for continuing to support the 21st Rewrite, and remember you can contact me through the website or join the discussion on the podcast's Instagram account if you have any thoughts regarding this episode. So without further ado, let's get on to this week's conversation with Kira Ann Pelican. Hello and welcome to the 21st Rewrite, the podcast about screenplays and the process of writing them. I'm William Coldwell and this week I'm joined by a very special guest who I've been looking forward to talking to for rather a long time. I think we've been emailing back and forth for a few months now. Kira Ann Pelican, screenwriter, consultant and author of the new book, The Science of Writing Characters. Kira, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's absolutely lovely to be here with you. Yeah, I think let's just start out by talking about this new book that you've just published. There are so many screenwriting books out there. Often there's a huge array on the bookshelves. No one really knows where to begin. There's obviously a few famous names out there which have also have their, their things to teach, but some of them kind of tend towards a, a stricter model of writing screenplays. And I've noticed that a lot of the books coming out nowadays are much more about creating original stories, original characters, and your approach has been to really look into modern research in psychology as a way of writing characters. So could you just share for us a brief overview of the book, why you chose to write it, and some of the ideas that we'll find inside it? Absolutely. So I, um, I'm, I'm a psychology graduate, and then I went on to film school. And when I started um, writing myself and then teaching writing, I was aware that there was quite a lot of ideas around pop psychology. And the psychology that was being taught was focusing on um, Jungian and psychoanalytic ideas, which aren't really representative of most of the psychology that's taught today, and certainly a lot of the new research that's coming through. So I think that very much has its part, particularly in mythological storytelling, but I also felt that there was a huge gap in better understanding psychology and how that can be used by writers to create more compelling and believable characters. So um, sometime after I'd started teaching and consulting, was writing myself, I embarked on a PhD and I was interested in psychological universals in films and why some films travel well across the world. And is that because of psychological universals? That that would seem to be the main idea, or is it more about marketing? And as I was, was embarking on this PhD, I, I discovered, you know, there was a lot, there was an awful lot of contemporary psychological research that could be, I felt, very, very useful to writers. And um, one of the examples and the thing that I often, uh, most often teach workshops about is the use of personality psychology and how the five factors of personality describe what we mean by complexity in, in a character. So um, writers are often told you need to make your character more complex, more nuanced, more believable. And yet, when it comes to understanding what that means, it's, it's quite difficult, it's quite vague and quite nebulous. So, you know, it's one of those notes that I think many writers get and, and uh, you know, that they're given, and script consultants often, often give. But actually, there's plenty that we can learn from psychology that can help us understand what that complexity means in terms of roundedness of character, why some characters are more believable and more memorable than others, 
And also things like why we change in real life and how we can use our understanding of that change to write more compelling and and believable character transformations. So, as I said, I think there's plenty there. And, you know, it fascinated me as a writer. So I had started teaching workshops on it and then was approached to write the book. And that's where I am today. Yeah. So one of the things that stood out to me at the beginning, firstly, the point you just made about that common note being a character is either flat or rounded how can you make your character be more rounded be more interesting be more believable and you try to answer that question by initially taking a look at the big five personality traits and exploring your character through that lens and identifying which of those traits they might embody there's an acknowledgement of the current research which is suggesting that the two genders do have slightly weighted results on either side of certain aspects of the big five. So women in general tend to be higher on the agreeable scale. And you also say, but also the characters that are most memorable are the ones that are not normal. The ones that stand out to us as being abnormal are the ones that we tend to remember because we encounter normal people all day, every day, and we, we can't take all that time to really get in, and learn everything about their lives. But when someone is exceptionally different, that is kind of where the, the interest grows in why these people are different to us. Why does someone like David Bowie or someone who really stands out as being just such a unique individual, we, we love to read about these people, we love to learn about them. So... In addition to this, you've also chosen for our discussion today to be on Chloe Zhao's screenplay, The Rider, which is quite a close character study that doesn't necessarily have too much of in the way of plot in terms of big events happening along the way. It's it's very, very nuanced. It's very, very much like a fly on the ball observational story where you follow a character there is change, there is development. Could you share a little bit about why this film in particular stood out to you and you think it embodies some of the ideas you've been talking about as a good example of fully formed characters? Yeah, there are, there are lots of reasons why I chose this film. One of the most trivial reasons is it happens to be the last film that I saw in cinemas before um, the first lockdown in the UK. But much more importantly, it it really emotionally resonated with me. I and I think it's I think it's an absolutely wonderful film, a wonderful story, and a very very simple story focusing on you know just very simple emotional truths. There's something that we can all you're not rodeo riders, but we can all I believe that you know there are very universal truths here. I believe that we can all connect with that story in some way. At the heart of that story, of course, um, the main character is, is you know, he's torn between um, wanting to realise his own ambitions and doing something for himself, expressing himself and, and doing the thing that he very much wants to do. And he's not able to do that because of his injury and because he has a family that he needs to look after, particularly his, his sister. And psychologist uh, Daniel McAdams, amongst others, have talked about one of the the biggest drives in in our lives or the biggest inter- interior conflicts is the conflict between power and agency and communion so the, the the conflict between you know wanting to be free and to do whatever it is that we want versus having to fit into society and connect with others those intimate relationships and it's something we battle with all our lives and um, you know it's very much at the heart of this story so I think that's really, really interesting. That central emotional truth. I think that it's beautifully written. The the, the script and uh, um, the film is beautifully directed as well. And it's so simple. It has this very simple element. And as writers, I'm certainly also very much. Uh, this is something that you know I, I, I often uh, overcomplicate stories myself. We'll often overcomplicate things. We're creatives. So when we get a chance to write, and particularly when we've been spending a long time on projects. We get all sorts of different ideas and try to put them in there. But actually, you know, particularly for a low budget feature film, this beautiful simplicity of just focusing around that very, very, very clear Mm -hmm. central dramatic question. If it's the right one, if it resonates with us, it's wonderful. And I find that very, very striking. And I think it's also something that as writers, we can really learn from, particularly if we're wanting to make, you know, low budget films that have got much better chance of getting off the ground than the higher budget films that are much harder to recoup at the box office. Yes, and especially today with COVID-19 regulations, 
there's actually an insurance benefit to having less characters in the same location at the moment. So there's there's definitely been much more of an emphasis on how can we streamline this project and have less characters, less need for a crowd scene. Is it possible to avoid this? Can we make it a bit more like a stage play? Because we're going to make it much, much easier to shoot right now. Definitely, absolutely great point as well. So I think that I think there's so much to, to learn from this, and and of course Chloe Zhao at the moment is is um, you know up there for a, a, potentially for award season with Nomadland. So you know, I think it's just really interesting reflecting on some of her past films and and her journey as well, um, and, and yeah, what we can take away from that as writers. Mm-hmm. The screenplay itself was very inspirational to me, exactly for the reason that you mentioned after reading it. I instantly just went and sat back down with one of my older projects and it was very liberating to have read something that I had been overthinking and thinking there needs to be more action, there needs to be more to this story. And I was I was trying to write what is quite a grounded contemporary British story that I was trying to find more ways to add a bit more action into it. And Reading the writer really liberated me and made me just think, actually, that wasn't necessary at all. It's if the characters themselves are compelling, I think the story will hold up. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, I highly recommend anyone to read the writer. It is it is actually beautifully written, but again, in a way that's quite deceptive. There, there's no flowery language. There's no words that you will need to go to a thesaurus or a dictionary to understand. It's It's very, very straightforward and simple. And it's the culmination of a project which is somewhere in between documentary and fiction, where Chloe was interested in um, the main character, Brady, Brady Jandro, called Brady Blackburn in the, in the film. He's a real person. He, he did suffer an injury. His friend Lane Scott really is a, uh, an ex-rodeo cowboy who got severely paralyzed as a result of the danger of the the sport that he participated in and she found a way to weave this together without it ever really being either i think it allows it to be much more dramatic and fit a traditional structure in a better way by being a fictionalized account but some of the moments are so clearly authentic as moments between the the individuals who are portraying fictionalized versions of themselves that it, it really stands out as something that's rather unique, as we usually define fiction and documentary as completely separate categories. Yeah, I was fascinated to read she'd spent around 18 months in the reservation and, and wanting to make a film with him. And they were discussing all sorts of ideas, apparently, of, uh, of, of things that he'd been through in his past. And it wasn't until he had that accident that um, she realised that's the story. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just such a beautiful, poignant story. And I, I think it resonates with us so much that, you know, we can see how, how the degree to which his identity is wrapped up with, with his world and how he's, it's so difficult for him to, to change. He wants to, but he can't. And he tries and tries again. And, and, and eventually, of course, he does change uh, and, and he, he finds this other path. But it, but it is absolutely fascinating. I found that really interesting about the, you know, reading, reading about the, the development of the script and also the way that she works with with the scenes, um, and that she's written the full script. I, I think there was an earlier version I'd read that was possibly sixty pages, and we looked at an eighty page uh, version. And then, of course, when she's working with the real actors who are playing themselves, if there are any lines that they don't like there, they will just simply tell the story, you know, to uh, uh, use the dialogue, their own dialogue. And again, that felt very truthful. But but it's also fascinating that she, how well she's captured the essence of their dialogue within um within the script we you know we can Mm -hmm. hear his voice there and i would have to go back and really like you know study every line to see what's changed and what hasn't because she's got the essence down she she's she's obviously great with with voices and hearing and presumably made plenty of notes and, and also recorded some of those sessions but we hear we really hear character through that voice and it, it's wonderful it's so truthful yeah uh these kind of stories i feel like there is almost a a subgenre onto itself as well of of these stories of someone trapped between their aspirations and the limitations of the world around them. Darren Aronofsky did two of these films in succession that were brilliant, uh, The Wrestler and Black Swan. 
and the recent um, Darius Marder film, Sound of Metal, about a drummer who's learning to live now with deafness after spending his entire life, his whole life has been dedicated to making music and he no longer can make music because he's going deaf um, and having to learn to live with that. There is this kind of subgenre there, which is a healing story, a redemptive story. Not everything has to be, as you as you've kind of pointed out in in other places, you know, a Jungian type monomyth where one journeys into the belly of the the underworld and returns changed. Uh, it's it's much more grounded in um, personal development in in a world than I think that we can kind of relate to. Definitely, I was going. I was just going to mention that in relation to the ending as well. So exactly, it's we don't have this heroic ending, this heroic happy ending. It's it's a much more realistic ending, and it's what it's the kind of ending that media psychologists would describe as a mixed effect ending that we feel both happy and sad at the same time. And these can be, you know, these are some of the most truthful endings, the most moving endings. Mm. We're there. We are, of course, immensely relieved that he's not going to go back into the rodeo because. There's that terrible tension throughout the film that he's going to be thrown again and he's going to die. And um, his sister's not going to have anybody to really look after her um, and everything that he stands to lose. And on the other hand, we feel this, you know, this this really deep, genuine sadness that he won't be able to to live the life he wants to. So we're there and we're with his dreams and there he is and you know he's 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 riding again he's talking lane through how he wants to you know he's he's imagining being on the horse again and he can keep that as imagination but we know he's made the right choice and so it's this mixed effect ending which i think feels you know much more truthful and contemporary um and much more moving than um of course the hero's journey endings have their place in those those kinds of films i'm certainly wouldn't say that that, that you know there's not a, a a place for them but in a story like this, it, it just feels just much more real. Yeah, um, I've been writing a, a draft of um, an essay on modern independent cinema, and the title I was going to give it is uh, The Great Question Mark, because there is becoming a greater tendency towards these endings that have these mixed and unresolved often kind of moments. Um, but the way you put it, that uh, the writer can make the ending can make you feel both happy and sad. I would almost argue that the entire film does that all the way through. There's the moments of joy sprinkled among this acknowledgement of some very difficult circumstances. And it is very fascinating to me that someone like Chloe Zhao, who is Chinese, has lived in the UK, has lived on the East Coast of America, gathered this fascination with the inland of America as you know, not just um, the writer, but her previous film and Nomadland as well. They, they've looked inwardly into the heart of America, which is often dismissed as flyover country or the the place where the deplorables live, this area where it, it's still very misunderstood and yet so much um, powerful drama is coming from her take on it. On, on, and it, it begins, I think, with empathy that when you open your mind empathetically to others, that's the point of departure for writing good characters to me. And one of the reasons why I don't think that characters need to be just reflective of the author and the author only writing what they know, I I encourage or think that we should encourage writers to really go and seek difference in the world and then try and process it through their writing. I completely agree. I, you've made a few points there, but but I, I, on the on the on the one hand, I think yes, writers should write whatever they feel most excited about, and some people like to write stories that are close to home. This actually may come into personality and openness to experience versus being closed mm-hmm. to experience. So some people may you know be very most comfortable with writing what they know, but other people, their imagination is fired by writing what they don't know and, and, and exploring that um, and, and igniting that curiosity. And I, that's, I, I, I'm always very cautious with being prescriptive towards writers. They, you know, write what works for you and find that. Don't, or don't listen to people that will say, this is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. If the story works and the characters are alive, the story works and the, the characters move us. I was also coming back to the, the interesting thing about Chloe Zhao writing this uh, and making this film about uh, the, the place that she obviously initially knew nothing about 
in the interview, she talks about being an outsider, that she was, uh, you know, when she moved around and when she was in school in England and later studied in the States and, and she was from cities, she felt an outsider in many places. So she didn't have an automatic kind of local to home place that she felt that she knew so well. And she was drawn to to go and explore uh, um, the, the Badlands and that this area seemed really interesting to her. And, and I, I can completely see that. That makes an awful lot of sense as well. And as you say, that the, you know, these, these, the characters and the interiority of the movie and within the interiority of the states. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. So how about as just as an experiment to, to kind of set off our discussion of the character of Brady, where would you put him? On the Big Five scale, what what do you think are his his dominant personality traits? Um, well, the first thing we typically notice in other people is the degree to which they are uh, more of an extrovert or an introvert. And he's like the vast majority of cowboy figures. He's he's an introvert, so he's he's not super introverted, but he's certainly moderately introverted. He's somebody that uh, um, you know clearly needs time to himself. He He's comfortable with his friends. He talks to his friends, but he's somebody that appears to have deeper, closer, fewer friendships, and, and needs time time to himself rather than being, an, you know, the extrovert that's the life and soul of the party that, that gains energy from social interactions. So I think that's the main trait there, and that draws us into him. When we when writers create introverted characters, it really invites us to try and better understand them. So they're not all out there in the dialogue. We're drawn into them. We want to get to better understand why they do the things that they do. And it can be really, really intriguing. And I think it is with him. And then other than that, of course, he's driven by this sense of duty. So he's a conscientious character. He clearly has a very important place in his home looking after his sister um, and helping her. His mother's dead. Their father is uh, uh, seemingly an alcoholic and a, a, um, somebody who's spending you know, the money on all the wrong things. Um, so he's put in a position of responsibility there and he's living up to it. And particularly when he's around now, he, he says that he, um, you know, he feels guilty for not having been around as much before. He's seeing his sister starting to grow up and how much she's going to need him. And he's, he's very dutiful. So, and this is a really important factor in the film because if he didn't have that sense of duty and responsibility and compassion towards particularly his sister, um, he wouldn't feel as torn. He would presumably, you know, carry on living his, 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 he would just get back on the rodeo and, and, and give it a try and, and probably until he died. So that's a, you know, those are very important uh, traits. He's emotionally stable, like most of the cowboys that we, we see, the cowboy figures that we see in, 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 in movies. He is um, relatively agreeable. He will, he's described as a stubborn character. He gets on with others when he needs to, but we also know that um, his stubbornness is an important quality that's mentioned several times in the script and in the film. And he's been described as being stubborn and like his mum. So that we know that he's going to do whatever it is that he wants to do. And eventually it's, he's has to be the one that decides that he's not going to go back again. So that stubbornness is a very important quality. And I think that's interesting as well, because that ties into to grit. And grit is something that we're all told, you know, we need to have, particularly as writers. Um, but if we want to succeed in anything in life, grit, there's an awful lot of emphasis on grit, something that we must have. But there's a time and a place for grit. And there's also a time and a place, as this film beautifully shows, for stopping pursuing that dream. Mm -hmm. And um, for, for many reasons, it may be that we don't have the talent. It may be that it's going to kill us um, if we pursue it as it would with him. It may be that we have other responsibilities, but it's not something we talk about as much. There's much more conversation around grit and, the, and the, the need for us to all have it. So I think that was something that was very interesting that, uh, that was explored here. And then finally, um, openness to experience. He we don't see an awful lot of evidence about whether he's more open or closed to experience. But given that I would imagine he's more close to experience, given that we see that his world is the world of horses and, 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 and the, the rodeo. And, and this, this is the life that he talks about and thinks about that he does every day. It, it feels as though, you know, that's the life that he wants to stay with. He's not always thinking about new and different things as we'd imagine that somebody would with more openness to experience. And that's interesting, again, because that makes change harder for him. So he, he's not somebody that has a whole variety of other dreams that he wants to pursue his is very singular uh, which is much more suggestive of somebody that's close to experience so then the need to change 
that becomes much harder. So it's another factor that's important, you know, on his journey and creating more obstacle, internal obstacles for him. Yeah, um, I mean, you've covered all of them. So I'll try and try and add as many as I can think to add to. The cowboy archetype surrounded by mystery, this obviously ties into the introvert. But as as writers, we might be asking, how do we show introversion? With extroversion, you might feel on the surface level initially that it's easier to show an extroverted character is extroverted. They, they would constantly be seeking the companionship of others. They'd constantly be interacting with others. The introvert tends to move away from that. So I think firstly, you do need something along the lines of the blockbuster to independent cinema divide. Independent cinema tends to lend itself more to having a bit more time with your characters in seemingly mundane scenes to get to know them. And those scenes are the types that they introduce to show the introversion of Brady. It's when he goes to his mother's grave to pray. It's when he talks to horses as he's he's working with them in, in breaking them in. And it's the time he spends with his sister, who he feels very, very comfortable with and is completely open and feels like he can be himself. That That's something that I think often... Others might not entirely understand about introverts is that they're not, they don't want to be completely disconnected from others. It's just that they want to feel very comfortable with someone before they open up. And so the inclusion of Brady's sister, his his real sister, Lily, as well, um, is obviously fantastic for getting out those sides of him that he can't really express when he's got to put on a more masculine front, let's say, in amongst his friends or his father. Going over to the conscientiousness part, as you mentioned, I think uh, this definitely ties into the ending. It probably explains how he became who he is as well. You know, his loyalty to his father, his desire to honor his father's legacy. He said he learned everything about horses from his parents. That's a key sign of how he became the way he is, but it also explains his ending. That's also honoring his, his family and being loyal to them when he decides that they'd be better off with him than if he dies doing something very reckless. And also the reintroduction of Lane into his life. He, he mentions he hasn't seen Lane very often until his injury, but he does feel like he owes Lane something. And it might not entirely be explained why he feels that. Perhaps even a small level of survivor's guilt that he suffered a similar injury, but he didn't lose all of his his mobility like Lane did. His injury, although very bad, is not anywhere near as devastating as Lane's. And you can really see that conscientiousness come through in his desire to go and support Lane and spend time with him and help him have meaningful experiences in, in his new his new life. And I think this openness to experience part is an interesting one because it, it is something that's kind of culturally very encouraged that openness to experience is very important see the world uh, go traveling before you're 30 uh, take a year off go and go and be open to experience but at the same time the opposite of that has kind of led to the continuation of this local culture in south dakota this this culture surrounded by horses rodeo um, the influence of the lakota traditions uh, mingled with christianity these young men are not the types of young men you'd meet in New York City or Los Angeles. They Just the fact that they spend time during a bonfire and having a few beers and playing guitar, that they stop to pray, is very, very different, almost alien to people who have grown up in, in less traditional societies. So I think it also helps to explain, you know, if, if this character was so open, we'd kind of be asking, why is he even staying at home i think uh, absolutely and and i think that whenever i'm teaching uh in workshops about openness to experience versus being closed to experience I'm, I'm conscious that most writers will be more open to experience by the very fact that they're in exploring ideas they're more interested in the arts and aesthetics and and, and so on and we tend to be people who are more open to experience tend to be more liberal minded so we, we forget about some of the you know, the wonderful attributes that also go together with being more close to experience, like that groundedness 
And that's what we see here. We see, you know, a kind of a bunch of people that are, are very grounded in, in, a, in a, you know, getting on with their lives, um, their daily lives, and looking out for each other and and, and just sort of focused on, on those things. Um, and I think that's really interesting as well, and that there's, there's a warmth that goes with that, that that's interesting too. One of the things that stands out to me, particularly to maybe highlight to a British audience, is that... Uh, his father, Wayne, the subtle references to the fact that Wayne has been out drinking are meant to be negative traits. In America, these are negative traits. Uh, in Britain, it probably wouldn't be immediately noticed that if someone has spent the evening at the pub, or the bar in this case, that that is considered a negative trait. So there are some things that are kind of culturally, you do kind of need to step back a little bit and notice, I think. Why is that? I think Wayne, the father, it's highlighted that he is not perhaps the most responsible person. And so Brady really feels like he has to step up there. He, I think the screenplay itself contains a few more scenes about you know, Brady being concerned about the type of food that Lily's being given to eat, aside from you know the fact the rent hasn't been paid on the trailer, these things. It's a very difficult position for a young man to be in where the father is officially the head of the household and makes the final decisions. But Brady's also reached that age where he's questioning that and it's, is starting to see that, you know, he can't depend entirely on his father either. Definitely. It's, it's a major obstacle to him, isn't it? And, or it becomes a major obstacle to him. And, and I think it's, as you read through the script, or if you, you know, study this closely in the film, it, it's really interesting because we, we, we almost see a pattern of, um, dreams and what he stands to lose and the dream again the horses you know the, the wonderful the moments with the horses and everything that he wants to do and we're reminded again so it's almost this every other scene or sequence um where we're pulled back and we're reminded of what is this kind of the, you know the central thematic question and i found reflecting on that in relation to tension really interesting there is a um you know there, there's one definition of tension which which suggests that it's um the gap between the audience's greatest hopes for a character, the main character, and their greatest fears for that character. And I think it's, you know, fascinating reading this or watching the film, reflecting on, on tension, because we, we really go between those sequences of hopes followed by the fears, the hopes followed by the fears. And it comes back to that simplicity, the wonderful simplicity that's there in this film, you know, very believable, complex characters that feel very truthful and this this very simple storyline and and just getting that right without any there's no, there aren't any there's no need for gimmicks here it's just it just feels truthful and i i think that's why this film is so emotionally compelling yeah absolutely it it's one of those things that i think is uh really worth it's it's easy to look at the reviews of the writer and say okay it did something right but as as writers ourselves we we want to understand how it was done um I think that uh, it's very evident that reality is the driving focus here. I, I think you can tell that Chloe Zhao would not include a scene that she felt wouldn't honor the Brady that she had come to know, which is interesting. And that might, that might seem counterintuitive. You'd say, well, my characters aren't real, but you can make them real. You can, you can spend enough time with them, get to know them so well that I think there was a point in one of my previous podcast where I was talking to Brian Dunnigan, who was the, the head of screenwriting at the London Film School and wrote another brilliant book on, on screenwriting. And he said, it's very important to write scenes where you explore what your character might be doing outside of the film itself. And also to let them have some mystery as well. You know, like you don't know everything that your partner might do in the day. And that's okay. That, that mystery makes them interesting as well. And so, you know, we don't need to know everything about Brady's life to, to get a fully rounded version of him. We just need to see how he interacts with others and how he acts on his own. Absolutely. There was an interesting study published last year by um, Durham University in conjunction with the Edinburgh Book Festival. And they have an interesting website talking a little bit more about this study. I think it's called writersvoices.com, something along those lines. And they were they're interested in in how writers develop their voice, 
And they discovered that around 63%, it's something in that order, of published um, novelists hear their their protagonists' uh, voices in their head Mm. and experiencing them as having their own agency before they start to write. So I think that that's very interesting. So it means that obviously a lot of writers you know, more of those published writers, those, those published novelists got to the point that they knew their, 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 their characters so well that they hear their dialogue. And also they, they talked about how they would take them in a different direction, you know, that they would experience them having this independent agency. So they would literally, you know, not necessarily follow the treatment. They would take them in a different direction. But it also it, it tells us that actually around 40% of those writers were through the first draft finding their characters' mm. voices still and, and getting to know them better. Um, so, you know, some people are obviously doing the work beforehand and then other other writers are, you know, fewer writers are, are clearly finding their characters along the way. So, again, different writers work in different ways. But, you know, I think that that process of starting to hear our characters is, is fascinating. Of course, here in the Rider as we've mentioned several times, we know that, that Chloe was working with... Uh, with um, uh, this this non-actor Brady who she she knew very well um and hearing presumably his voice in in her head when she wrote those scenes and then and then making sure that she got the voice right when she was actually rehearsing those scenes with him but it is it's just such an interesting process that you know, how how characters start to come alive you know completely fictitious characters can start to come alive in our heads and how we even hear them we hear their their um the the nuances of their accents even as we're writing hmm. And we can also find inspiration if if a character is fully fictional, you might say, well, who would I cast to play this character? And then you can kind of leverage your your inspiration from knowing the actor or or actress who you might desire to play that character. That's also another way I think you can work around that. Yeah, Definitely. And I'm so pleased you mentioned that because from a psychological perspective, that is so interesting as well. Because we can see certainly three, often four out of the big five characteristics on just a neutral headshot of somebody. Mm. So um, it's it's one of those exercises that I'm always dying to do in, in in workshops with 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 people and get them to rate you know the person that they're sitting next to and kind of describe their personality just looking at them. But actually, I feel that it may go horribly wrong. <laughs> but if we can if we can see three and, and often four of those chari- those 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 big five um, dimensions on the face, just on a static face without somebody even moving, then you know if we're casting, if we're looking for images, if we feel slightly stuck when we're trying to um, to create a new character, if we respond well to to to, to those faces, it means that we're we're instinctively getting four out of those five big dimensions from a neutral headshot. And of course, if we're actually casting an actor, then they bring, they're bring they going to be bringing their own qualities to the part. And, and again, thinking about that in relation to working with, you know, how Chloe's working, worked with, uh, um, with, with Brady here. Of course, so, so, you know, an awful lot of that, he's, he's, he's not, he's, 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 he's playing his own character. Uh, and so a lot of that will be just in the nuances of his physicality and even the way his you know, his eyes are in his face and his nose and his mouth, but these, we, we, we get a lot of qualities from just looking at somebody. So I, th- I think this adds also so much to, um, to the story and to the film. Yeah. Um, do you think it's kind of a bit of a Rossatch test? It, it, do we project onto the faces what we want to see in them? Or is this something that perhaps artificial intelligence could, could be trained to learn? Like other actual characteristics you think could be related to the the personality traits no it's it, it's something that unfortunately ai can and presumably has by the likes of cambridge analytica can certainly read on the face you know pretty accurately so without even reading your facebook your posts really just from your headshot the spacing of the eyes apart the shape the eyes are it tells us a lot about personality and there's there's actually good reason why because these things uh, we, we, the, the same applies to primates as well and it's thought to signify you know potentially useful characteristics in a mate simply from looking at them so this isn't far fetched kind of ai nonsense this is pretty grounded in a lot of robust studies uh, um science interesting and so actors themselves might need to actually change their expression in order to be different characters or in in at that level like even their resting expression yeah and this is the fascinating thing about um 
when when actors play a part that's out of character, it, it's difficult to think how that can work if they're very different to the, the 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 qualities that we're reading on the face. So it may be that you know, uh, um, so conscientiousness and openness to experience are harder to read on the face. So if you're taking an, an actor and putting them in a role that's very different from the way that they naturally are on one of those dimensions, that's going to be a lot easier. But but yeah, I, I suppose also because movement expresses a lot of uh, um, you know additional le- levels that if they are then trained and, and can you know move in the right ways that express those dimensions, they can get it. But it's interesting to think about how when we feel there's a mismatch and we don't believe a character, we don't believe an actor that's playing an out of character role, why that may be the case because just physiologically, it you know it's not there. Hmm. In in the writer, I don't think there are too many lines of description for the characters. I I don't think they're entirely necessary considering the type of project that it is and knowing who is going to play each, each character and that they're going to play a fictionalized version of themselves. And naturally, you don't really need to add to that. But what kind of things do you tend to recommend are the, the things to include in, in the short you know, one or two line character descriptions that you tend to get in a screenplay? Okay, great question. So I think it's about uh, um, what are the most distinctive qualities that that character has? If we met them quickly, what comes out? And if you were thinking about it in terms of the big five and the, the 30 facets of personality, people will be more memorable because they'll be stronger on some of those. So what is it that comes out when you first meet that character that that makes them memorable. And they'll have a few qualities there that, that really stand out. So I think it's about bringing those in. And of course, you know, writing style and making it pithy, it, it is, is, there's a whole art to doing that. But again, you know, just reading the rider, if we hadn't, if Chloe Zhao hadn't directed this film herself and that was the screenplay and she was handing it on to somebody else, I think we would very quickly going on to read the, what the characters, how the characters behave and how they speak, we would very quickly have an idea of them. So... There's something in there for making it very easy for the reader and, and providing that brief character description that, that captures them immediately. And, and that's always lovely. But of course, if we go on and we you quickly set up in a scene, as, as you, wish, wish, wish you should always strive to do, you know, if you reveal how that character is in, in action, then that works equally well too. Hmm. And uh, the, the screenplay itself actually opens in a slightly different way to the film and we kind of know that the screenplay is the document that the film is based on. Then you, of course, have the shooting and then you have the editing. And so a, a story itself could shift around a little bit in the editing process as well. And I get the feeling that might have happened with the rider, but the initial opening is actually with Brady's accident and images of him being juxtaposed with images of him training horses. So as a breathing tube is put into his mouth in the hospital, it's it's um, simultaneous with an image of a horse with having a brace put in its mouth by him, that kind of thing. And and so she uses this very visual way to convey his connection with the horses and the accident that he suffered. And in the film, we don't actually get that. We just have him returning home, and then we find out from his father that he's left the hospital too soon but i think that's just going back to the idea that just showing us how a character is acting i think most of us do make a judgment immediately on someone who leaves a hospital against doctor's advice for example you know not not everyone would do that and that's initially something that makes us ask well what kind of person would do that well it might be someone who is much more accustomed to taking big risks you know that something like that Absolutely. Yes. And, and because in the script, she says intercutting, linking Brady's body to that of a horse's body in, in the, 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 the sequence that you were just talking about, that, that, that dream sequence where, she's, where he's reflecting on, he's remembering the, 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 the rodeo and we're cutting, as you said, between his eye and the horse's eye and, and, and so on. And, and that point is made throughout the film, isn't it? That he, he first of all is sort of embodied in, in his, his first horse, Gus and he feels very sad about the loss of Gus and then he goes on to meet Apollo um, and his life becomes connect, very much connected with Apollo but of course as you said as we watch the film it you know becomes very evident that uh, 
that he's very, you know, that his life is intertwined with these horses and he feels this in- intense connection with them. And we see this intense connection as he's breaking them in. So it doesn't have to be spelt out there in those first scenes. And and, and what we, we see are very different things in those first scenes. We see, you know, that, as you said, that what, what he stands to lose and that the huge risks he's taken and uh, potentially may take again. Um, this risk-taking element is very important. Absolutely. Hmm. I think anyone who listens to the podcast regularly knows my unhealthy obsession with midpoints. I really like to find the midpoint in a screenplay. And um, Apollo in this screenplay is the midpoint because you have this trajectory going through the first half. It's Brady trying to navigate a path forward and the options remain open to him. He's trying different things. He's, you know, reacquainting himself with Lane. He's dealing with his father. He is working in the supermarket. That spark, that that thing that kind of resonates to us with the idea of, um, you know, destiny, who a character is meant to be, a vocation, whatever whatever you want to call it. I get the feeling that that in the at least the way it's written in the screenplay is what's reawoken when he sees this magnificent horse and he sees that the horse is is very wary of him not broken in you know it's very distrustful and he he gets that feeling that he has some sort of purpose he he could be the one who could could help this horse who would be able to find that bond that is not easy not everyone has this skill not everyone has this ability and then the second half after that midpoint is is him having to make that decision of how far will he let that take him? Will he just train horses? Will he ride for pleasure? Or will he take the final leap and go back into the rodeo uh, ring himself? Uh, absolutely. I, I completely agree with you. And I would also agree that that's the midpoint as well, when he you know, first sets sight on Apollo and then goes on to, to buy and break him in afterwards. And their lives are very much intertwined, aren't they? He, he sees Apollo as a, as a horse that you know, could be something very, very special, and has this sense of there's a sense of destiny, as you say, and 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 a purpose to his life. And Brady sees him as having this singular purpose as well. He sees himself as having this singular purpose. His purpose was to 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 ride in rodeos and and to to be a top rodeo rider. And then you know, I, I think that you know the, we've seen the, the pistol being used several times. Um, it, it's used more often in in the, in, in the film than it is referred to in the script. But we've been wondering from the beginning, when is that gun going to be used and what's it there for? He's, he's twirling it around in sort of cowboy fashion. But, but why? We see him you know, training one of the earlier horses to get used to the sound of gunshot. When's it actually going to be used? And of course, when it finally is used is when, he, when um, Apollo, um, Apollo is injured. And Apollo is Apollo's going to be lame after that horrendous injury. But Apollo could continue to live. But in, in that world... Apollo's life, the way that he sees it, it's meaningless because Apollo should be there as this great rodeo horse or a great horse, uh, a great, you know, a cowboy's horse. And he can't be. And as he goes on to explain to Lily that, um, you know, the horses, they get to, to be put out of their misery at this point, but he's forced to, to carry on living. And, but he's lost his purpose just like Apollo has. And, and it's an end. So, he, but he can't, you know, he can't bring himself to shoot Apollo, but he asks his, his father has to do it. Um, but he sees that at the end. Absolutely. I've I've got the quote here. Brady says, I was only kept alive because I'm human. If an animal around here got hurt as bad as I did, we'll have to put them down. It's just not fair to them if they can't do what they were born to do. Yeah. That's how she wrote it in the screenplay. I believe in the film as well, she, he, he also adds, I'm a person, so I have to go on living. Yeah. And it's it's beautiful, and it comes back to this this sense of identity. And if your if your identity is so strongly linked with this singular purpose, and you feel that that's that's why you are here, and that's what you must do, and you don't have all these other options, there are no other options. The other options are you know very difficult. Then then what on earth do you do if you can't do that? And, and again, I think that resonates with you know as writers when we feel this this huge uh, this this great you know this this uh, this this huge drive to write, and we know how difficult it is against the odds, um, and we keep going for it and going for it. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's just a story that will re- resonate with many creatives and, and many people across the world when they uh, when they you know they feel there's something they really want to do, and uh, for some reason it's it's very difficult to continue along that path. Mm. And 
coronavirus, to go back to the the time we're living in, has for many people caused a reevaluation of how vocation can be applied in their lives because no longer are so so many things that used to be available actually possible to do, or at least in the way that they used to be done. So when it comes to talking about how you can you can change and pivot, let's say, and, and find another way to do something, Brady's story is a, a little bit illustrative there, I think, as well, in that rodeo is just one aspect of his connection with with horses. And um, there are definitely other things he can be involved in. And I think he starts to discover some of them. It It seems like Writing for pleasure is something that may or may not be an option. I mean, there is there is a point where he um, he feels sick and kind of collapses while he's riding by himself. So riding by himself could be potentially dangerous, but certainly training horses still seems to be available to him, doing certain things while others are around, and also going and working with, with Lane. I think he discovers that connection there between working with horses and training them to trust and helping with a person's rehabilitation after a serious injury, that also ties into his vocation somehow. I think you're absolutely right. And I think you made a kind of a beautiful analogy there relating to the current climate we're in and, and, and other avenues that, um, you know, we, that potentially we can all explore as well. And Brady's connection with uh, his own other possible avenues. And I think the other thing that the film reminds us is it very much feels the right decision. It's not just the right decision for him personally, but it's the right decision also for his family. And when we're in a culture that emphasizes grit and continuing and continuing and continuing, we we rarely discuss actually um, how pivoting is just as you say, and looking at those other opportunities can often be a, a good decision as well. Um, it, it's not necessarily giving up and failure. And I think that, you know, that the, the connection between not having enough grit and failure is 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 um is is emphasized far too much and causes you know far too much pain for for many people um one thing i wanted to bring up as well is uh the concept of flow and i know i'm going to get his name wrong i'm going to try and pronounce it it's mihali chiksent mihali i'm going to go with your pronunciation there that's <laughs> yeah i tried my best apologies to any hungarian <laughs> listeners but the theory of finding flow and how that relates to one's purpose, uh, this is something that's kind of been on psychologists' radar since, I believe, about the 70s. And there are definitely scenes in the rider that illustrate flow. It's, it tends to be Brady just by himself on the horse. These are some of the moments with the more epic cinematography in the film, this fantastic landscape of the badlands and and just the lone rider on his horse that the those are the moments i think visually that stick with us after watching the film but i think it's also illustrating this this concept of flow that he he's completely lost in in this moment and feels completely fulfilled completely at peace completely one with with what he's doing and it kind of exists outside of time in a way. Absolutely. It's beautiful, isn't it? Absolutely and utterly beautiful. I, I, I love horses. That was another reason why I chose this film. <laughs> and, and also I would, I, would, I would include the training scenes, the breaking scenes there, where apparently uh, Chloe Zhao let the camera just run and run and run. And he did his thing. He just did, he did his thing and he broke that horse. And it's absolutely extraordinary. He's, very, he's, he's entirely present in it. And it's completely and utterly captivating watching you know, the wild animal slowly form a connection with with a human um with with him it, it, i think it's absolutely fascinating and you know and watching somebody in the flow also takes us often into that that same mind state ourselves um which which is a lovely state to be in and a lovely escapist state to be in again you know coming back to the current pandemic lovely to, es- to escape from our current lives and, and move into something like that mm-hmm. yeah the i think it's something to include uh chloe Zhao includes these scenes in the screenplay just a scene that is landscape or a scene uh, illustrating Brady in a moment of flow, something like that. It helps to break up um, because the, certainly some of the the scenes um, on the dramatic level are very hard to watch, especially, you know, seeing some of Lane's rehabilitation, things like this. 
And directors like Chloe Zhao, I would argue Terence Malick is another of these directors who gives the audience 10, 20 seconds to just absorb what they've just been watching and also be confronted by by just beauty for beauty beauty's sake almost, you know, a, a stunning scene. Um, it's the appeal of this part of America is the the vast endless landscape that's that's what drives people to go out and and experience the middle of america is is simply the the sense of of magnitude of, of such such a big place that you don't get in you know in our cramped conditions in europe and and stuff like that it's it's something else to go somewhere where you might drive for 120 miles and not find another petrol station Absolutely. And I think that comes back to the really interesting point you made earlier on about um, independent movies creating that, that space to explore characters' interiority in that way and more introverted characters potentially, um, rather than the show and the spectacle and the dialogue and you know, kind of all the flashy outward stuff that dominates bigger box office hits. So I, I think that's very interesting. But yeah, I mean, I've, I think we've covered... Like you mentioned, we we've covered a big part of the ride. As as we've said, it's um, it is quite minimalist. It's a screenplay. Certainly, it it's available online to read. It's it's nice and short, eighty pages. It's it's um definitely readable in in a couple of hours just to spend part of an afternoon with it. Uh, there's so much to learn from it. Uh, there's some some very nice metaphors symbols in Chloe Zhao's writing that again are not too literary but they I think they speak to a reader there's one where Lily has been sticking these little gold stars all over Brady and he's he's kind of just stuck them up on his wall and while he's playing with the gun she says they look like bullet holes in the wall behind him these these little nods to um to the legacy of what we might expect from a western the cinematic imagery that that we get with westerns and yet kind of telling us a completely different type of story than we would expect from you know a john wayne style western i i also i i, I want i i must mention the game the i i i thought it was fascinating to see how well the incredibly simple metaphor of his not being able to let go embodied by um mm. the, the seizures that he had in his hand it, it's one of those things that i i feel as a writer, one might think, okay, that's just too simple. I can't have him unable to let go and then give him a brain injury that you know, literally makes him unable to let go of the reins. And yet it works so well. It, And I think this goes down to, you know, once we believe in characters, once they feel truthful, once we're engaged in those moments of the film, we, we're not taken out of the story where we think that, you know, that's just, that's, that's implausible. I don't believe it. It's just far too literal. It worked beautifully. It worked absolutely and utterly beautiful. And it comes back to that wonderful simplicity of the film. If you get it right, you get the emotional truths right and create believable characters whose stories we care about, where there's something at stake that resonates. Everything works. Absolutely. I'm sure I had a question that I wanted to ask you just to kind of finish up because usually what I ask... um, for someone who has written the screenplay, I tend to ask, well, what did you learn in the process of of writing the screenplay? But perhaps we could adapt that question here into maybe something that you learned from from reading the writer that you think you could that you'd like to incorporate in in your own writing. I'm going to say a few things again. I'm going to say the simplicity. I would also say I, I think that refocusing the story around that central dramatic, that tension, that thematic question, and reminding us of it and, and not straying too far from it and you know, reminding ourselves that we don't need to, or or when I'm writing with that, I don't need to employ complicated devices, but actually just the essence, getting the, the truthful essence right is the main thing that we we should be doing as writers. So just that. Yeah, um, and I think it's easier to write that way, and uh, you can feel more confident in your work in the sense that if you're trying to write to please others and you're you're changing the truth, what you feel is the truth you want to expect, I think you'll always be at odds with your project. So the more honest and truthful you can be in your in your drafts, I mean, it's your writing. You should you should set it out the way you feel it deserves to be laid out, and then you know once you start collaborating with others, then 
see where adjustments need to be made. But initially, I think starting from a place of, of truth is a, a good standpoint. Absolutely. Completely agree with you. All right. Well, Kiran, thank you so much um, for taking the time to talk to me today and uh, record this this podcast from lockdown. Your book, uh, The Science of Writing Characters, I'm going to post a link to it. Um, it's going to be included in the podcast description. Highly recommend to everyone to to read this one. It's um, very up to date. You've, you're drawing from all kinds of psychological research that obviously is thanks to your background as well in psychology. You know you you know what you're talking about, but also from a a story structure point of view, uh, writing characters. You also give advice on on dialogue, uh, all kind of aspects that you'd find in a screenplay. Um, so highly recommend it. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Really, really, really has. Thank you. Mm.